You are good all the time. He is good all the time, and all the time He is good. We're excited to be here today. Good to see you in from the cold. We appreciate you being here. Take your Bibles if you would. Find Revelation chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Revelation chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. We'll be ready to read that here for just a moment. I am going to call us to a little bit of a congregational prayer. encourage you to pray today. A couple of things, of course. We know that uh, our neighbors in Wetumpka, First Baptist Wetumpka, First Presbyterian, we know that they are, uh, some of them are gathering even today, but without a church building. And already you're seeing uh, their spirit and already showing their faith and sharing a witness that in spite of the uh, tornado that came through there, so we pray for those who are, uh, have been uh, devastated through a tornado not far from us today as well. Also, this is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. Some of you will discuss that, I think, probably in your Sunday school classes as well. But we want to have time that we thank the Lord uh, for life that He gives us from conception to the grave for the eternal life He gives us as well. And pray that we'll be uh, the salt and light of the world that we need to be uh, also. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to you today. We thank you for the opportunity to be in this service, to be able to uh, lift up praise and uh, truth and in the spirit of our living Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you already uh, for how we've come into your presence. Thank you for these who've gathered here today. Blessings on each. Father, we pray for congregations, uh, too, that we know of near us who've had their church devastated, many homes. Also, Father, we are thankful that there was no loss of life. We pray, Father, uh, for uh, many will come together and help. And Father, we already uh, have seen witness and people who've testified, who are part of the church, know that the church is not gone even when the building is. And uh, we pray for those congregations that will be gathering today for prayer times and uh, remembering who you are. And even during the tough times, Father, we pray that you'll continue to bring them comfort and watch care provide for their every need. And uh, Father, we do pray on this particular Sunday as we uh, remember the sanctity of life, the importance of life, and what you have said about life from uh, conception to the grave. And Father, we thank you for this gift of life that you've given to us. And we pray, Father, and thank you for its importance. We pray that we will make the stands and to be the salt and light where we need to be. And uh, Father, we pray that the importance of life will continue to grow in the importance of uh, our nation and around the world. We thank you also for the eternal life we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, and thank you for this day that we can come and be together. We pray for the remainder of this service and all that's going to take place today, Father. We pray that your name might be magnified and glorified. We know that you are good all the time. And we thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, that we can celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the abundant and eternal life and the purpose that you give each one. And Father, now, uh, may the words of my mouth and meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our God and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen. This is, we are in Revelation chapter 3, and we are reading verses 1 through 6 today. And this now is the Word of God. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 
The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy word, and you may be seated. Okay, yes, it is possible. It's possible for there to be a church and for us to be a church that have no problems. But you need to understand, if we're not going to have any problems, we need to follow certain guidelines and principles. For instance, you need to stop inviting just anybody to church. In other words, you need to only invite the right kind of people. And I think you know what I mean, because we want to all think alike. We all want to be the same kind of people. And you need to stop bringing your Bible to church. I mean, you probably just need to stop reading at home. In fact, tell you what, I'll just tell you what you need to know about the Bible because if you start or you keep reading your Bible, my goodness, you might come up with a conviction about truth or something that might lead to action and that could lead to a little bit of trouble. And if you keep reading your Bible, well, then you might be able to call, you might want to do something to cause us to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Now, Sunday school teachers, would you uh, spend a little less time on the Bible lesson on Sunday morning? My goodness, there are a lot of other topics that you could talk about that would be a lot less controversial. Just kind of think happy thoughts and kind of come up with optimistic statements and try to make everybody just feel good, have a warm, fuzzy feeling when they leave. We've got a sign out there that might have a problem because of the name on it, Parkway Baptist Church. Now, the word Baptist might have enough problems, but that word church could be misrepresenting. Maybe we could change it to fellowship or society or club or something. Then we could put under there, maybe in parentheses, exclusive members only. But here's the most important part. You need to sleep. I don't mean just get enough sleep. But I mean when you feel like reading your Bible, you feel like praying, you feel like doing ministry of some kind, serving others or sharing with somebody about the love of Jesus, take a nap. That feeling will pass. And listen... You know, 60 minutes is a long time to come and be a part of a worship service. So maybe somewhere along the line we could just plan a little nap time. Maybe right around the offertory would be okay. After all, listen, we just forget about the money because money brings enough problems uh, as it is. Maybe we could just sing some happy songs perhaps. You know, you remember that song about, you know, clap if you want to be in a room without a roof or something? That person probably never lived in lower Alabama. Then we could take a nap, forget about that offering. After all, Parkway's been a church for almost 50 years. We've done some good things. Let's just kind of rest on what we've done in the past. and Let's just forget about the future. Let's just rest. Wake up, verse 2 says. Wake up and strengthen what remains. I hope you've noticed the sarcasm so far. And have not agreed with anything that I've said thus far, except perhaps the wake up part. What I've just described to you is what makes up a dead or a dying church. That was the church of Sardis. They were dead or dying and didn't even know it. There is one thing I like about this church of the seven churches that we are studying. Of all the churches, the name of this church is easier to pronounce than all the other seven. But that's about it. Had Jesus not written to this church... In this letter, the fact that they were dying, a church that perhaps was resting on the things that they had done in the past, well, they may have never known the truth. Is it possible that there are changes perhaps that we need to make, that we need to listen to the Lord Jesus, listen to His Word, that maybe we need to make some changes as well? In fact, not only is it possible, it's without question. What can we do today to be alive in Christ and not look like the walking dead in any way? 
We're going to focus on a word that Jesus said. I think will help us to be alive in Christ. You've got your notes, hopefully, to help you along the way. And it is the word that we've mentioned so far. It is the word, wake up. In the English Standard Version, it's what the church is supposed to do. Jesus said, you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. The Lord Jesus is sending us a wake-up call to the church to be awake and not to be asleep. Now, the Jews came to the church of Sardis in order to stop the progress. But when they came to the church, they found that there was no progress being made, so why bother? The Romans came to the church of Sardis in order to persecute those who were true believers. But they weren't sure that they found any, so they said, why bother? This church was unique among the seven churches that we are looking at because there was no attack on the church. There was no heresy or false teaching to speak against. Even Satan, who's mentioned in many of the churches that we're talking about and attacking those churches, had bypassed this church so as no threat. They were not worth fooling with. Now we might get tired of Satan's attack sometimes on us and the great insult to any church or maybe any person is that Satan is not interested in what is going on. So another enemy of the church is apathy. No concern, no commitment to following through with what once was. They apparently had dreamed the dream. They had caught the vision but were not willing to see it to completion. You know that a lot of people want to see the church reach people until they find that it might cost them something. Could we be in danger of the same thing? It's always great to see God's hand at work in the church. We rejoice in it until it asks something of us. I do believe with all my heart that God has given us a vision and we're continuing to be a part of the vision of what He's given us for Parkway Baptist Church. It's reflected in when we see people getting right with God. It's reflected sometimes in our prayer lives and Sometimes the prayers that we have with one another, testimonies that are given, whether they're spontaneous or whether they're planned testimonies, it, it's, it, it is in believing God's going to answer prayers. It's reflected in enthusiastic Bible study on Sunday morning as people see their Sunday school class more than just an hour that they come to on Sunday morning, but a group of people who care for one another and who do life together and contact and are sure that they're a part of each other's life. We stay active and have been. People say about the church of Sardis perhaps, and people even can probably say about that to our church, those people are always busy. Let's be careful because activity does not always mean spiritually alive. Jesus said to the church of Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive. It's another way of saying that you have a reputation of being busy. But what is being busy really worth if it is not spirit-filled? Now the description of Jesus in verse 1, it says that Jesus describes Himself as one who has the seven spirits of God. And we know that the Revelation is a book of uh, symbols and illustrations. The seven spirits of God has to do with the symbol of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus certainly has is one who has the Holy Spirit. We know Jesus, Holy Spirit and the Father are one. But unless the church has the Holy Spirit, it is lifeless. Let's talk and remind ourselves again about what our purpose is. Now we understand from God's Word, our purpose is to lift up the name of Jesus. It is to glorify our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our mission is the Great Commission. We've identified it particularly as we want to help people to have a growing and lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, 
That's got to be in the songs that we sing just as it was today. It's got to be in what we pray for and what we study and preach about. And if we can come to church and not be brought face to face with the living Lord Jesus, then we, need, we have missed the mark. Now you need to understand, as we talk about the church of Sardis, a dead or dying church, this is not us. We do not have a dead church. It's not in any way a dying church like the church of Sardis. I don't know anyone who would say otherwise. But the wake-up call for the church and for you and I is don't be like this in any way. Instead, strengthen what we have in Christ. Complete that which Christ has called us to do. So this morning, we're focusing on one word. And that one word in the English Standard Version is the word that is wake up. Wake up. But then we find also that one word, the same word that's translated wake up, is sometimes translated as watch. In the King James, it says this, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen what remains. We understand that that word watch, it's the most common command in all of the New Testament oftentimes associated for believers to watch for the second coming of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And here in Revelation chapter 3, that understanding that Jesus will come like a thief in the night is further interpreted. That phrase says that those who are not watching, it will be like a thief. For those who are watching and preparing for the second coming, it will be different. Though we will not know when, we will rejoice that Jesus has come again. Always be watching and preparing for we do not know when. If we knew when, we'd be ready perhaps only at that appointed hour. A church that is dead never speaks of the second coming. second coming does not make a difference in their lives. Sometimes we might come to a book like Revelation. Some of you certainly enjoy loving talk about prophecy and Revelation. Others might think, well, why would we study such and know these things. It talks about things like the rapture and tribulation, judgment and the Armageddon. And people really get interested when somebody has figured it all out. They know how it's going to happen, when it's going to occur. They got their charts and graphs. And so when they really get interested, then they've heard one, they think, oh, they want to hear what someone else says. And then they hear somebody else get all their charts and graphs and everything interested when it's going to happen, when exactly how it's going to take place. And it's something different. Listen, we understand it can be confusing, maybe even sometimes frustrating, but it's not ours to figure it all out. We don't know the dates of the second coming. Our purpose is not to memorize every symbol. We read and accept it by faith. But we read it so that we might understand more about Jesus and because of the difference that the future makes in our life today. Now people who are without Christ, they all know only the past. They know their past. They know the past perhaps of what somebody else has told them or what they've read. But we know not only the past, but we also know about the future. We know the future because of what Jesus Christ has told us that He know. We know that He's coming again. There's life everlasting and we live in anticipation and the hope of the assurance of what is to come. And that should excite us and it should cause us and give us incentive to be able to live for Him. We love our sports certainly here in this part of the world. I have a store that I go to sometimes, not in city of Auburn and the fellow who runs that store, all he knows is that I'm from Auburn. So every time I walk into the store, he picks up like he, he 
like he's kicking a football. He goes and he says, it's 220 days left till football starts again. So he's ready to go, always. And we love our sports and we love the things that are happening. We also love dramatic finishes, especially if it's in our favor. With a few minutes remaining, everyone rises to their feet in expectation and anticipation of what everyone knows will be a dramatic finish in every way. And somebody around you perhaps says something like, watch this. No matter what else is going on in the world, at least for those few minutes or for those seconds, you cannot even blink or turn away so as not to miss what's about to happen. So it is with Jesus in the New Testament. Though we know the victory is assured, it's not even close. But the Christian life is rising to our feet in anticipation in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of what Jesus is going to do and what we know will be a dramatic finish. And Jesus repeats here, as it's often talked about many times in the New Testament, as in, watch this. Because we know that everything He does is good. We know that everything He does is for us. We know that everything He does is going to be wonderful and tremendous. And no matter what else goes on around the world, no matter what is happening, we are not to take our eyes off Jesus, not even to blink or turn away so as not to miss a thing. So to Jesus says... If you want to be alive in Christ, watch this. But the watch also has to do with the idea of being on guard. Being on guard against temptation. We do not turn away by holding on to what is right and what is true. Now the city of Sardis was a very wealthy city. It was located on a steep hill. So steep it was thought to be uncapturable by the enemies. But twice in its history, the enemy climbed the great hill, scaled the wall, captured the city. Both times that it happened, there was no one who was on guard, no one who was on watch. They thought they were safe enough and they did not see a need. They thought they were too safe. Some said that they were too lazy and they slept when they should have been on watch in keeping with the wake-up message to the church. May we never be so bold to think that we're not vulnerable to temptation or too good to be on guard. Pride goeth before a fall. Or maybe that the point that we think that we're the strongest, the point that we think that we would never fall, and the point that we kind of put our, point our fingers and hold up our noses to those where others have fallen, that may be the place where we are sure to fall. May we not be so lazy. May we not, be, may we not sleep or dead in our spiritual life. We need to continue to walk guard duty so that what should be an abundant life not become lifeless like the church of Sardis. So what does it mean to be on guard duty? What are the things we need to guard against? Well, if we're going to be on guard duty, we will find ourselves in the Word. Not like what we talked about in the beginning of the message today, but we'll find ourselves in the Word often and with others. We'll keep our family in the Word. We'll keep guard on our prayer life and not anything take away from the time that we spend in prayer. We'll worship in spirit and truth. We will be sure to spend time in fellowship and ministry and on mission with others. For part of the Christian life is that we are on guard duty. We're on watch so that we might fulfill the purposes, fulfill the mission that the Lord Jesus has for us. But there's another word, one word. And believe it or not, it's the same word that is translated as wake up. It's the same word that is translated as watch. 
sometimes translated as vigilant or alert. In the Christian Standard Bible, one of the newer translations, a remake of the Holman Bible, but it says this in Revelation chapter 3, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Be alert and strengthen what remains. While the church at Sardis was a dead or dying church that we told that there were a few believers who were vigilant even in Sardis. They had not defiled their garments with sin. They had not fallen asleep spiritually. In every age, in every church, the people of God have been at their worst. There have been a few that have remained vigilant. Jesus said in verse 1, He holds the seven stars in His right hand. You remember He holds the seven lampstands or and it was the churches. He owed the uh, seven spirits. It was the Holy Spirit. Here we have the seven stars. Seven stars is symbolic of His ministers of the gospel. And He symbolically holds seven, maybe representing the seven churches or the number of completion. The fact that He holds all those who minister in His name in His hands. Let's just talk about some of those for just a moment. We could mention many, but let's mention seven that we might talk about are in the Old Testament. Well, there was Noah that found grace in the eyes of the Lord when the, God's people were so wicked that God was ready to destroy it. There was Abraham, the father of faith, called out of the land of Ur. There was Moses, greatest and most humble servant in the Old Testament that he is called. There are prophets like Jeremiah, who was the weeping prophet. There was Elijah, who stood alone among so many. There was uh, Hosea, who was faithful in spite of unfaithfulness. There was Isaiah, who proclaimed the coming Messiah. Seven in the Old Testament. We could name many more, but there are seven who continue to be those who were alive and awake and were faithful. Seven in the New Testament. Perhaps we could name many, but since seven is mentioned here, let's mention seven of those. There was Paul, the great missionary of the New Testament in the first century. There was James, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. There was Peter, the preacher at Pentecost. There was Philip, the evangelist and the first deacon. There was Barnabas, the encourager. Luke, the physician and traveling companion, writer of two two books in the New Testament. There's John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, the very one who wrote the book of Revelation that we're reading today. Seven of the New Testament. We probably could name more. We surely could, but here were seven. Well, let's talk about seven in church history. There are names, perhaps some that maybe you could recognize, maybe many that you've never heard of before. There was Peter Waldo. In the 1100s, he translated the Bible, the language of the common people, to be able to share it with the poor and the average people of the world. In the 1200s, the Holy Crusades wiped out hundreds of thousands of those who were disciples of Peter Waldo, who were disciples of Jesus. In the 1300s, John Wycliffe translated the Bible to the language of the English. Wycliffe Bible translators still use his name. His enemies, the established church, burned his dead body and scattered his ashes over the river Swift. John Huss preached the gospel of truth and converted thousands to Jesus. The church, misguided and corrupt at that time, branded him a heretic and put a mitre crown on his head and labeled it the great heretic and they burned him at the stake. Belthazar Hubmeyer, how about that name? Listen, we just found out I'm going to have a grandson. That's what I'm going to, this is what we're going to call him. It's not. Belthazar Hubmeyer, 
Baptist preacher of the 1500s. He would baptize 6,000, 8,000, 10,000, sometimes 12,000 a year. And they burned him at the stake and they drowned his wife for preaching the gospel. John Bunyan, 1700s, placed in jail for 12 years. John Bunyan's called the most famous Christian writer of all time. We know one of his writings is Pilgrim's Progress. He tells of looking through the bars of his jail cell, seeing his little blind daughter Mary trying to sell laces that he had made to help support the preacher's family. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German Christian in Nazi Germany during World War II, when the church did not condemn Germany, he took a stand, went to prison, lost his life. He said the reason the German church did not take a stand was their lack of moral clarity. The only ones who can stand firm in such situations are the ones whose standard is not reason and conscience, but God in His Word. Well, if you counted, there are six. And not seven listed, at least not yet. There are six and not seven. We could name more who've been faithful. But will you be one? That you can even put your own name, a seventh name added to the list who stand for Christ will let, that, let not their clothes be soiled by worldly influence, but are alive in Christ. While we could have named many more, Jesus says these will walk with Him in white robes. We often, when we have baptism, we often have those wear white or white robes in baptism and as a symbol of what Jesus has done inside of us, He's taken away our filthy rags of sin and washed us white as snow. When we accept Jesus Christ, we need to be reminded it's not the end, but it's the beginning of an eternal walk with God that begins the moment that we accept Christ, the moment that we've been forgiven of sin. For about 10 years, some of you know, I pastored a church in North Alabama, and in that church we were on TV four times a week, twice live and twice in reruns, believe it or not. And uh, we used to kid and say we were on coast to coast from Flint Creek to Show Creek, two creeks in that county. But it did always surprise me about once a week, somebody strange would come up I'd never seen before, and they'd say, we watch your church on TV. I've seen your church, I've watched your service on TV. And I said, hey, you could come watch us live and in person. It'd be okay. And then I always wait because there'd often be another comment such as, you sure look taller on TV. I'd say, Thanks, I didn't know what to say, you know. Or, or now, if they said you look bigger on TV, that's okay, because that's so you know I don't, I'm not as big, perhaps, or don't want to be. But I always wonder what it would say. But the perception would not always match the reality. Jesus said about the Church of Sardis, "You look alive, but you're really dead." We do care about the perception of the Lord's church. We want it to match the reality. And we need to be vigilant. We need to continue to work because we want other people to know that we have been made alive in Christ. We've been made brand new. And others can be made brand new as well. Now, the church of Sardis reminds me of an Old Testament story. One of the darker times in history is found in 1 Samuel chapter 4. The priest of Israel was a priest by the name of Eli. And he had two sons. Two sons, their names were Hophni and Phinehas. And they were ungodly men, but they became priests by virtue of being in the family, being sons of priests. The Bible calls them worthless and not, did not know God. Eli had been warned about God's judgment on Israel because of the disobedience of the sons and the disobedience of all of Israel. 
Eli did nothing to reprimand his sons or to help Israel to be restored. In that time, the Israelites were at war with the Philistines, and Eli, the father Eli, waited to hear the outcome. Upon hearing the news that Israel had been defeated, that his two sons had been killed in battle, and that the Ark of Covenant had been captured by the Philistines, Eli, the great priest at the age of 98, fell off his chair, broke his neck, and died. One of the sons, Phineas's wife, was pregnant. And on that very day, she gave birth and she named the baby Ichabod, meaning God's glory has departed, symbolizing that at that time God's glory had departed from Israel. And while Ichabod may not have been physically written over the door of God's tabernacle, God's glory had departed his house. May it never be said that Ichabod could be written on the door of our church or on the door of your heart or mine. May we wake up and watch and be vigilant so that it will never happen, for there's judgment for all sin and for our sin. But if you're a child of God, the judgment was placed violently and surely on our Savior Jesus Christ. And as you, you who know Jesus, who will be clothed in white garment, forgiven of sin. Now if we were to rate the churches of all the seven churches that we've talked about, from the best to the worst, the best probably would be Philadelphia that we're going to talk about this coming Wednesday night. But this church, Sardis, would be the worst. It was the dead or the dying church. But it is in this letter that is perhaps the greatest of the promises found in the letter for all followers of Jesus. For it's your name. If you've been adopted to the family of God because you've placed your faith in Him, it's your name that's been written in the book of life that the Scripture says here will never be blotted out. And if you ever wonder, is my name still written there? Go to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 5 for it says it's a promise your name will never be blotted out for those of us who are adopted into the family of God, for those of us who have put our faith in Him. And it's your name. It's your name, the Scripture says, that Jesus will call out for the Heavenly Father to be able to hear it, all of His angels on that day, on even on Judgment Day. And they say, yes, your name, you will not be judged because Jesus has already taken your punishment and you'll be welcome into your eternal and heavenly home. Welcome to the kingdom. Great news. And in the meantime, wake up, watch, be vigilant to do the work of Christ. If you don't know Christ today, you don't know that your name's in the book of life. You don't know that Jesus is going to call your name for God and all the angels to hear. Well, today you will want to call upon Jesus. And He's promised that nothing else that you need to do. There's nothing you've got to get straight outside of your heart and outside of your life until the Lord leads you to do that. But today you can call and ask Christ to be your Savior and Lord. You can ask Him to forgive you of your sins. And the Bible says that He will give you life and not death. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to come and lift up praise to You today. We know that You hear our prayers. And we thank You, Father, for Your Word as it speaks to us. We thank You even for warning and promises that we receive today. We pray, Father, that You may give us great incentive to be able to live and to serve You. Thank You for the love that You've shown us. We pray, Father, if there's one or more here who do not know You as Lord and Savior, who need to give their life to You, We pray they'll not leave this place without making things right. Draw us close to you today. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen.
I'm going to have you stand if you would.